Coming up next on the Webfly Swing podcast. I think where there's a need and a specific environmental advantage, so maybe, you know, where the temperatures are up and you would need a slightly harder coating or fly size generally, you know, if you're fishing super big flies and things are changing in terms of the, the way that people are approaching fish, then that'll develop, you know, a line is probably specific to that purpose. But it, we don't want to just develop lines for the sake of developing lines. That was Gareth Jones describing the airflow plan to simplify your fly tying selection process. Tactical tapers, universal tapers, power tapers, and the rage. Today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how are you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. We just kicked off a big giveaway this week, and you can uh, check it out right now at wetflyswing.com slash zag, that's C-A-G. And uh, this is your chance to get a $100 uh, certificate at Zag to buy anything you want over there. We're giving away a local fly fishing trip, and uh, we got a couple other bonuses on tap. So check it out right now, join that giveaway, and get a chance uh, to win a trip and some gear. Today's episode is sponsored by Dalton at uh, Country Financial, who thrives on helping families and community members through the power of education and proper insurance coverage. The unexpected will happen, so it's always best to make sure your assets and life are protected. You can check out Dalton right now at wetflyswing.com country and make sure you are protected today. Today's episode is sponsored by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory, one of North America's most renowned zones for fly fishing. From the Henry's Fork to the South Fork of the Snake and all the alpine lakes in between, Yellowstone Teton Territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts all the information they need to plan their trip. Visit wetflyswing.com Teton right now to get a full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all the inspiration you need to get started on your next Eastern Idaho trip. That's wetflyswing.com slash Teton, T-E-T-O-N. Garrett Jones is here today from Airflow to break it all down. We dig into a lot of the tech behind Airflow, their unique fly lines, what they have going, what makes them special, and, uh, and we break down the poly leader system, get into that, find out why that's such an important and uh, killer product they have going. And we also clarify some of their process to simplify the, uh, like I said at the start, to simplify things and make it easy for you to grab the line you need to get started, whether that's salt water, uh, cold water, warm water, whatever that is, uh, they're making it easy to get started. Gareth has a cool story and a long history in the fly fishing space. He's been all around the world and is, uh, has been doing some great stuff. So I'm excited to share this one with you without further ado. Here we go. Garrett Jones from airflowfishing.com. How are you doing uh, today, Gareth? Oh, well, thank you. A little bit rainier in the UK, but uh, we don't have to go outside today, so it's all good. Nice. That is so cool. It's. Uh, I always think of you guys because I'm in a rainy spot too. Uh, we get uh, Where I live, we get almost 100 inches of rain a year, and I think you guys probably get something probably in that neighborhood, right? I'm not <laughs> even sure. What is the, what is the transition, the, the, the metric transition? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, but all, all, all I know is that we had a month's worth of rain in, in 24 hours this week. So, yeah, it's a bit bit dank and wet out there right now. 
Yeah, good, good. Yeah, well, you got to embrace the suck, which is one of my guests recently said. You know, when it comes to this time of year, um, but we're gonna we're gonna dig into airflow. You've been there for a long time. I'm excited to talk about this because I think you're somewhere in the 30 year range at at a company that produces a really unique fly line, and uh, and I know a lot of people that use it. I have a couple of your lines I've used for steelhead fishing and uh, and all of that. But um, before we jump into airflow and some of the products and, and things there, why don't you take us back really quickly to fly fishing and tell us how, how that first started for you? Well, yeah, my, my father was a fly fisherman, um, and I grew, grew up right next to a, a, a small trout stream. So natural progression, picked up dad's fly rod, started teaching myself to fly fish. Dad wasn't the best teacher in the world. He was a, a red-headed gentleman who, uh, you know, didn't have much patience, but he stuck with it and, and got me over the line. Um, and then I sort of really got into uh, still water fishing as I, I got a little older, and I really I liked the bigger fish. You know, that was the thing. So I got into the still water scene. And then from there, I got into uh, onto the competition scene. Um, I really enjoyed the competition stuff. Um, got got quite good at it at uh at one point i was the the youngest national champion in the uk i, I won the national championships my first attempt at, at 19 so that was oh, wow that was uh quite exciting and then that led me into airflow uh i was doing my degree uh, i did a business degree at swansea um and it was you know where do you go next and i started throwing out cvs to different tackle companies and Airflow said, "Come, coming up and have an interview." So <laughs> I didn't, huh. didn't nice. look back. That's it. No, I love it in competition fishing. We always love digging into that. We've had a number of guests from the Team USA on the program, you know, and uh, and I always try to dig in because it's such a, you know, a Euro nymphing, of course, and all that is so popular over here. And we will probably talk about that today and just the evolution. So we might uh, hold off on some of the comp. I'd love to dig into that as we get, you know, in today, but. Uh, Let's take us back really quick to Airflow because I don't want to miss that as far as the story and the company. You've been there a long time, but I know yeah. at the start, talk about who's behind Airflow, how did it start, and then and how you kind of connected to it there. Okay, so the guy who invented Airflow lines was a guy called Paul Burgess. And Paul was an incredible engineer. Um, he had a job in a water authority where he was designing uh, you know, systems to track pollution in, with, with, with water systems in the dams in the UK. Um, and then he he ran a, a mail order company called Sue Burgess, which some people may have may have heard of uh, back in the 70s. But Paul, being the engineer, wanted to develop fly lines. Uh, and he took a look at the existing technology of the day. And he'd also seen uh, the, the way that they manufacture um, electrical cables, which was via an extrusion process. So Paul decided that that was the way the fly line should be made. Uh, and, and he started on this path where, you know, we... We made some crazy uh, fly lines to start with. We we went through uh, iterations of complete non-stretch cores. We had a lot of memory issues in the early lines. Um, and, and I think it's fair to say that some of those early lines didn't live up to the hype uh, that we mm. may have given them. But, uh, yeah, we are 30 years on, and we've, we've, we've come a long way with what we, we developed. So Right on. Yeah, and you guys have been... You know, like I said, I've, I've got some of your lines and uh, and I know you're all over the world, obviously, but it, it started now in which which country did you guys focus on? Like, where, where did that start and then where did it spread out from there? OK, so we're, we're based in Wales um, and obviously we're UK biased, but uh, we've, we, we look a lot into the Scandinavian market where 
some of our technologies really work well. Uh, a lot of those guys are fishing with very accurate grain weight heads, and Airflow are able to make heads which are accurate within a very, very small window. So we really, really fit into that market well. And also anywhere where durability is an issue, you know, sort of the saltwater environment is really strong for us because uh, our lines are made out of polyurethane, not, not, um, not a solvent-based plastic. So polyurethane is far less susceptible to sunscreen, uh, gasoline, and, and more particularly DEET. So all those things that you find in that environment which can damage product, we're, we're kind of immune to. So it's, uh, it kind of fits in really well in that environment. Gotcha. So that, that is the big, one of the big differentiators between you guys and a lot of the other lines is that, um, yeah, the polyurethane versus the PVC type. So, so describe that a little bit on the tech there. So it is, uh, just go into poly and, and maybe describe some other features of how you guys are a little bit different. Cause I don't think any of the other major manufacturers are doing polyurethane. Is it, is that true? Or I'm not sure if you know that. That's, that's correct. We, we're the only guys who manufacture lines with polyurethane. Uh, polyurethane is a, um, is it a plastic that doesn't require any solvents to make it liquid? So in the manufacturing process, we just heat up the plastic. We change its shape basically into a flower line uh, through an extrusion method. And then we set, set the temperature set with a, sorry, we set the plastic through, um, going through a cool temperature, through a, a cold water bath. And then literally it's just reset. So it's, it's melted, it's changed shape, is, and it's reset. Whereas uh, with other manufacturing techniques, there there'll be a solvent added to the material to make it so soft, and then that solvent then is baked off, which will then make the line hard when it, when it turns into. Gotcha. So it's a, it's gotcha. a wow. complete three hundred and sixty in terms of the the manufacturing technique. Yeah. And re remind or talk about the extrusion. What what is the what does that mean? The extrusion process. Okay, so extrusion um, is where we. Um, if you think about our fly lines being made like a like a sausage machine, so you're okay. pushing out sausages. Okay, um, and it, it would be like you 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 force plastic through. Um, through a screw, yep. and then it comes onto the core at 90 degrees, and then depending on the pressure of the plastic or the speed at which we manufacture, we can create tapers. So if we, it's a bit like a corking gun. If you cut the corking gun with a, a large nozzle or a small yep. nozzle, and then you increase the pressure, you pump out, then then if you draw the the cork gun at a, a faster pace along the, along the seam, you're trying to, weld or, or you know sealer then obviously you can make a, th a smaller diameter of the of the the cork so it's a very similar process mm, that makes sense you speed up slow down increase pressure reduce pressure and the combination of those is what gives us the tapered flower line yeah that's it that's a great analogy to use with the uh, uh the uh yeah the, the caulking gun or the or the sausage so that's perfect um 
All right, so we got the general gist of what it is, and we're going to dig into some of your lines. Uh, talk about the U.S., because I know you guys came, you've been here a while. Um, you know, we had, uh, growing up, for just for your information, I was, in, you know, I, I've been around for a while here. My dad had a little fly shop that, back in the 80s, right, through the 80s, 90s and stuff. And But I remember, you know, I can't remember exactly when you guys came in, but talk about the U.S. market. And I know, like, Echo, right, you were, uh, Ray Jeff is a big name over here. I think you were affiliated with kind of the Echo team and that change. So talk about how how you guys kind of came to the U.S. and then what's going on now and where you're looking moving ahead. Yeah. So initially when we came to the U.S., we came in as as Airflow um, and that was using a distributor based in the USA. Uh, Initially, we used a company called Angler Sport Group, who uh, were the first guys looking after Airflow. Then an English guy called Ian Sorrell took her on for a little while before Tim Ray Jeff uh, got involved. And that was a big, big change for us and, and something that really sort of um, gave me a lot of um, input as well from my side because, yeah. you know, hanging out with Tim, he's one of the most infectious characters in the industry. He's super effective at casting and he really understands what makes Rod's lines work work together, that combination. So hanging out with Tim was just, you know, a great, great experience. Yeah. And having that association as well with Echo really brought airflow to the to the US public, you know, where, whereas before we were really sort of like a marginal product that was obviously popular in the UK, popular in Europe, but kind of wasn't mainstay USA. Uh, and having Tim involved really brought us in front of in front of people. That's it. Yeah, so, and Ray Jeff is a huge, he's probably one of the, you know, everybody knows him as one of the great fly casters in, in the country and stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm just, uh, UK versus US, why is there such a, it seems like there's such a big difference. Like we do, obviously we steelhead, we got all sorts of species we're fishing, but is there that much difference between the style? There, there is a huge difference, huge difference in terms of the way that we approach our fisheries and very much different to the way that you guys do in the US. Um, the the two-hand salmon thing was obviously a, a big thing in the UK for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Especially done in the UK with a lot longer headed lines, you know, not shooting heads, not skagit style. Uh, and then without trout stuff, it was generally still water biased in the UK. So... If you if you take for example best selling fly rod in the UK it would be a ten foot seven weight fly rod, whereas if you take the best selling rod in the US it'd be a nine foot five weight. So there was a yeah. very, very different um, approach. You know, was US definitely far more sort of river based, and UK was definitely more still gotcha. water. But that was the big big difference. Yeah, and it's interesting because for some people that have been doing. Uh, been in fly fishing like myself. I mean, I love stillwater fishing. I mean, there is a nice segment of the U.S. and I think it maybe it's growing. It feels like you could probably speak maybe more to that. But I've always loved stillwater fishing, and the lines I've always used are just you know your general whatever kind of like your nine foot five weight and stuff. But I, I'm getting into more of like the Phil Rowley, Brian Chan stuff where they're yeah. they're doing some other things that are newer. Um, so is the stillwater fishing here? Do you think that's different than what you guys have going over there? Uh, like again, back to the gear. Not at all. I think that the still water fishing in the U.S. is probably the biggest opportunity for anglers right now in the U.S., um, especially where you get to the situation where you've got high numbers of people on the rivers, overcrowded. Um, but the problem is when you turn up at a lake, it's really difficult for somebody to just take a look at a, what they think is a still piece of water and go, where do I start? If you go to a 
can see a pocket, you can see a seam, you can see features. Um, and those features exist on lakes. It's just a little bit more, um, it's not quite as visible to the, to the, to the sort of uh, untrained, yeah. let's say. So, you know, they do exist. You can catch a lot of fish on still water. You can narrow it down. Um, but obviously it needs uh, some education. That's right. And I, I, I'd imagine because of the comp fishing, I mean, you probably are uh, pretty much a, st- a still water uh, master as well. Is that something, you know, when you look at still water versus like rivers, is that kind of your, your sweet spot just as an individual? Yeah, definitely. It's something I'm, I'm known for. I've fished competitively for the last 30 years. Um, and you know, I've, well, I've been lucky. I, I've fished a couple of world championships. I got a, a few medals at world level. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of love the still water. <laughs> I love still water fishing. Um, but the point I was going to make is that, um, you need subsurface vision to be able to read it. Uh, and you need to be able to put your mind's eye where the fly is. And this, this translates to a lot of fishing, you know, anybody who can read, what the fly is doing at whatever depth it is um, will catch a lot more fish than somebody who doesn't really think about it. Yeah, yeah, right. That's and I was just thinking we had Phil Rowley. I mentioned he's uh, he's a friend of mine. We've done some trips out here, and he's kind of up in BC or up in uh, Canada. I know and, Phil uh, well. He's kind of a yeah, you know Phil Rowley. Well, I just talked to him yesterday, and we were talking about we're setting up a trip. We're trying to get something down in the U.S. Um, you know, just get out and get on the on the water and do some still water fishing. Um, but yeah, he, he talks a lot about his strategy. I would love to maybe dig in with you and talk about, you know, if we were going to set up a trip, you know, for some still water fishing, like you mentioned the rod and stuff like that. But what, what like if somebody's going to pick a airflow lineup, what would you recommend? Or do you guys have a few different types of still water lines? Um, literally, it's it, it depends on the situation at the time. There, there isn't one still water line. That's That's the one thing I will say is still water fishing is all about depth control. Uh, The ability to present consistently at a set level will result in a lot of fish getting caught. If if you go below the fish, you're out of the game. If you go too high above the fish, they're lazy. They don't want to travel to go and collect food. It's all about effort versus reward. So the more times you can present consistently in front of the fish's level that they swim at, the more success you're going to get. So I, I can say there was one line, you know, it's always, there's always a best line for the day in the given conditions. Um, so yeah, it's, there's, there's certain lines you'd always want, like you'd always want a, a floating line because that gives you control of depth and then you can control the depth of the flies. Uh, you'd always want a, an intermediate line cause that gives you some uh, variation in the water column. Um, and, and added to that, I'd want um, a sort of three to five inch per second sink grade line as well, where I could cover a little bit more, more depth, you know, and hold it at a level longer. Okay. So if it was down to three, they're the three. Yeah, that's the three. That's the three. And then, and what are those lines? If somebody's just going to go ser- Google search, like on Airflow, would you just type in? Six. Uh, what would you, if they, yeah. Six cents is the, is the family of lines that they fall into. They all fall into it. And six cents come from... It's a name I come up with because the lines have only got 6% stretch in the core. Okay. Uh, and stretch in fly lines, particularly when you're not seeing a rise or, you know, indication that the fish is eating your fly, is super critical because if you can feel it, it's, it's, it's a little bit like comparing uh, a super braid with monofilament in the conventional game. Yeah. You know, it's it's a step up. Yeah. And it gives you that, that 
skill and and um, ability to hook set at, at some distance and depth. Yeah. So what I want to jump into, you know, we're, we're going on this line. I, I want to try to cover everything with airflow. You know, of course, we won't be able to today because there's you guys have so much and there's so many different types of fishing. But another big th- type of fishing we do up here where I am is steelhead fishing, you know, and it's similar to Atlantic salmon in some ways. But like you said, skagit lines are huge. And we're heading up to the Midwest. Um, I'm on the West Coast, but we're heading over to the Midwest to like the Ohio area to fish with uh, Jeff Liskey and, and some folks. Um, we're going small there, right? We're, we're going like smaller river, smaller tight skagit stuff, almost like they call, I guess it's like trout spay almost, right? Shorter rods. Do you guys have uh, lines that cover that? What would you recommend if that's what we're doing? Yeah, we, we do have lines in that, that smaller grain rate, uh, shorter heads, but it's something that we're working on a, a complete new range for the later on in 23. Uh, we mm-hmm. with, with the new developments in technology that we've, we just, literally just put a new manufacturing uh, line in, uh, and that gives us a lot of advantages for that uh, large variation in, in in diameter. So you'd have, you know, where you go from a thin running line to a thicker head, then yep. that, that, you know, having control over that is really critical. Yeah, so that is a line. And that, the one line I think about, again, it's a little different, is the... Um, the fist, right? The, the F I S T fist line, which yeah. I think was, I, I have, that's one of the lines I've used for, uh, I want to say was Tom Larimer involved in that development. Tom's involved. Tom is still involved. Um, and Tom helps us with our two hand design. Oh, he does. Oh gosh. See, I didn't even know he was still. So that's cool because Larimer, of course he's, uh, you know, I love Tom as well. And he's, uh, I think he just moved. That was the interesting thing. Cause I think now he's with, um, he moved from G Saint Loomis Croix. over to St. Croix. Yeah. Yeah, St. Croix. So, how does that look with your folks? So, you got we we mentioned Ray Jeff. Now we got Tom. I mean, do you have a crew of people around the uh, the U.S. around the world that are your ambassadors, for a better word? Yeah, we do. Um, I I'm still have uh, Harrop as well, who's an ambassador for Airflow. Uh, and globally, we've got a lot of strong, um, you know, not just strong casters, but but strong people in the industry in each of the territories who, you know, in real strong influencers. So it's, um, you know, important to get people who, who know what's going on in their market, you know? Yeah, yeah. What's the, um, and we're kind of jumping around here, which is what I love. I love uh, kind of cover things. But um, so you mentioned saltwater. What's the line if somebody, and again, there's probably a few different ones, but if somebody was heading out for like the Grand Slam, they wanted to go do the bonefish I, and tarpon. Uh, yeah. We, we kind of, we, we took a look at all of the lines that we do and we came up with a strategy. We we feel right now is the market is kind of convoluted with a, a line thing from, you know, tarpon down to, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's confusing a little bit, right? There's so many options. Yeah, so we what we, we, we took a look at it and we said, well, look, let's look at it on, on skill level, okay? very much down to what what an angler is capable of generating in terms of line speed. So balancing up ability to, to taper is what's going to make the rod work for you. So we've got three tapers we, we present. We've got a tactical taper, which is your technical, light, true-to-line weight line, long belly, long front taper for the guys who can really, you know, deliver high line speed and, and mm-hmm. cap way or they're in like real calm conditions where they've got opportunity to present you know single fish long range long leaders that kind of stuff then we've got the universal which is your all-rounder it's quite a powerful line usually weighted slightly forward 
Um, you know, best part of half a line size heavy. So it's going to give you some quick load of the rod without excessive line speed. Uh, and then we've got the, the, the power tapers then, which are the, the heavy guys. You know, they're like one and a half line sizes uh, up on the FTM scale. Uh, they load up really easily. And if you get a conditions where it's really windy or, you mean, or, or you're, you're just starting off and you want to get that feel of the rod, then that extra weight makes up for the lack of line speed and allows you to load the rod. So that that's kind of the, the strategy we've taken rather than go and say, well, this is your, you know, seven mile per hour carbon line, um, you know, on a rainy day at this temperature, then going down this really simplistic approach and uh, trying to make it easier for the consumer to understand what we're doing. No, that is, I, I love that. So, and then if we take it down that road a little bit, so if you had a beginner that's going for the nine foot five weight, what, what would be the, the taper they'd, you'd give them? Definitely go for the power taper because if you're a beginner, you're not going to have line speed. So you need to feel the rod. If you're not, if you're not generating line speed on the line, it's not going to load the rod. So you can make up for that lack of line speed with additional weight. And that's what you get with the power taper. Uh, also the taper design is such that there's uh, a larger tip diameter, so that carries a little more energy into the leader, especially when people are starting. They want to be able to turn over the fly. If you can't turn over, you just may as well not not bother, you know. So um, that larger tip power taper also carries the leader over well. So you know, it just gives everybody a chance. Uh, and, and I always say to people, fly fishing is not like golf. You know, when you start fly fishing you don't always catch fish at least if you're golfing you can knock it and <laughs> go somewhere so um right we like to give people a chance at least of uh, presenting well you know gotcha are you are you a golfer or is that one of your sports i uh, I, I can hit a golf ball fairly well because of the casting um yeah i wouldn't call myself a golfer <laughs> right right you, you've been on the course though yeah I, th I think i think there's a real um sort of definition between what, what a golfer is and what I am. <laughs> yeah. I find that, um, all these interviews, you know, we've done, I've done over 400 of these types of interviews with all sorts of, you know, experts in fly fishing. And there's always, it seems like the professional sports is this common theme. Like people were, a lot of people I talked to were very good at certain sports on top of fly fishing. Do you find that to be true that people that it's just like, that's one of those things that makes you a better fly fisherman actually having some sort of athletic ability or, I mean, I imagine there are people that aren't great athletes that are also good fly fishermen, but what would you say about that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's hand-eye coordination, you know? Um, you either got it or you haven't, you know. So if you got it, and you can, you can move, and and if you got got speed as well, particularly for the casting, you know, it's either either you got a lot of strength. Like if you if you take a look at the Rage Fs, you've got Steve, who's super powerful, big big built chap, who's strong, and then you've got his yep. brother, who can equally as far, probably half a size, but it's super fast. It can move his hands quickly. So there's the kind of two types of athletes you're going to get, you know? Today's episode is sponsored by Drifthook, who has pre-packed fly assortments for every stage of your fly fishing journey. Each kit is organized by species and includes instructional videos and easy-to-follow guides. And I've got a few of these Drifthook fly boxes, and I can tell you from experience, these are super well-organized. Uh, I've got a Euro Nymph box, which I'm excited to dig into here as we start getting into uh, the season here. 
Um, and, uh, and also there's a streamer box I have and some dry flies. And the cool thing is Drift Hook organizes it and their content they have on their website, which you can check out at drifthook.com, just goes through everything and really breaks it down. So if you are new, not sure what to grab, or if you just want to get some Euronymphs or some streamers where everything's ready to go, you don't have to worry about choosing things. You can check out these boxes right now. These are fly shop quality flies and they're hand tied and inspected before being carefully packed into their durable double-sided water resistant fly boxes. It's a good package and it's worth the time to check it out and check out Drift Hook right now. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash drift hook. That's D-R-I-F-T-H-O-O-K. Grab a box and support this podcast and a great company with one easy click. So you mentioned, so tactical universal taper. So, so continuing on down this road, so we talked about the beginner. So what if you were a, I mean, obviously a, a spay, if you're going long bill, you people know what that is, but what if you were, if you were, well, I guess the Skagit stuff, let me just guess, right? I mean, you got the Skagit, so that's more of your, your power taper, right? If, if you're getting sure. a, like a short line. It's, yeah. It's slightly different because what you've got really is you've got the rage, which is our, you know, um, more conventional line, which isn't for heavy sink tips. Then you've got the the Skagit, the driver, which is your heavy sink tip line. Um, so, but a, a lot of this then comes down to lines tip diameter, you know? So if you take a look at a, a, a Scandi head, let's say, and you look at a, a Rage head, on paper, they're not particularly different, but w- the dimensions of them, where they end up, are very, very different. Uh, and what that means is that if the tip diameter is larger on the line, then that that's the energy that's left in the line that can, can turn your flies over. So lines with a larger tip diameter are better for, you know, powerful presentations, big flies, windy conditions, all of those things. The, the larger the tip diameter, the better mm-hmm. for you. I like to think of lines as a, as a tube, I always think of a line as a tube that I throw a, a big ball of fire down the tube and the rod is generating this ball of fire and it sends it down the tube and then the front taper, as the, t- the fire is coming down the front taper, this tube is getting smaller and smaller and the size of the aperture at the end is the amount of fire that can come out of the end, the size of the fireball. So if I've tapered this this aperture all the way down to a real small diameter then it's only a little tiny fireball comes out which is great if you think of like your dry fly presentation yeah yeah exactly but if you think of power then the larger the tip the larger the ball of fire that's left and that's what's going to knock those flies over and and get you that super straight sort of presentation regardless of of the wind or condition gotcha and the rage is and that's the line i may have said this wrong but so is the fist also in your line or is that another another deal no, fist is also on our line, and the fist is a, a triple density line. So that's more to do with, look, it, it'll cast well, but it's more to do with angles of presentation and getting drift. So if you want a line to fish deeper, then by presenting, instead of having all, all of the head floating in just the tip of the sink that you've added on sink in, then you've got a more of a direct contact where that, that uh, sinking section can get below the flow and just get you deeper and slow the presentation up low. So, yeah, that's where the fist comes in. That's the fist. And the fist stands for floating floating intermediate sink tip, right? Correct, yes. Um, 
very effective casting line as well because because you're increasing density as you go through towards the tip of the line the whole thing speeds up so the line is thinner at the front end because of the density change there's less resistance that line casts through the air and there's more speed in it so yeah it's a very effective casting tool yeah and the rage i love because again i think that was maybe one that tom larimer helped out with and he told the story we had him on a few years ago and he told the story i think he was on the the deschutes or something and some guy was out there and it, like it was a hot summer day out there in his underwear or something like that and he was off of a rock shooting a, a cast across a you know country mile across the the deschutes and he went up to him and he said he said hey dude nice work nice cast and he was fishing a rage he could tell right he knew it was a rage line it, it was a pretty funny story but the, so the rage I love the rage because I am not a great fly. I mean, spay casting has always been a struggle for me. I'm good enough just to get the line out there. So the Scandi sometimes when the wind's blowing is tough for me. And uh, I'm definitely not the long belly guy. I have goals to get there. But the rage, when I got that, I was just like, whoa, why is this so easy now? So describe that a little more. Why is the rage? How does it make somebody like me who's not like a pro good at casting uh, a spay line? It's exactly what I've just explained. So the fact is that carry more energy for longer so if you have a long taper you could have the same taper length on both lines but what matters is is what the tip diameter is at the end of the line because that's the amount of energy that's left in the line to turn over and in the rage particularly is a large diameter tip which has got enough energy to just go and power over those tips or you know long leaders or whatever you need to do into the wind or on you know crummy days you and usually it does it usually picks up in the afternoon and the nice you're doing in the morning all turn to junk in the afternoon and that's where the rage really steps in yeah that's it okay so basically it's pretty simple it literally is how big of a diameter is the tip of your line and the bigger yeah. it is like you said yeah. that the more you can just shoot it out there you can, so you yeah. You can change the shape of the loop by changing taper. You can, you know, but then you've got to add into the fact what's the caster's ability? Because, like, when you start adding line speed into the equation, then that changes everything. So there's always this balance, yeah. you know. Right. Line. And, and it's, it's, it's a big lesson I learned a long time ago. Me and, me and Tim Rejev used to make lines that we thought were fantastic. And we'd both go out and cast them, and we go, yeah, these are the best things we've ever made. And then we'd put them into the market, and people would go, no, I don't like that. It's junk. And what we what we realized was is that we were making lines to our ability. And it was a huge learning. When you, when you, you take a step back and you go, okay, this isn't what the market wants. This doesn't work for, for the consumer. doesn't work for, for everyday anglers. And, and, you know, we just got to, tone it down and make sure that it works for everybody so that's been a, a good learning curve that is an awesome reminder i was just thinking as you're talking about that just on like r&d and i know ray jeff has a, a couple of videos online of him stretching the echo rod in a like a machine right until it breaks and it's just like it's pretty interesting to see the because their echo is known as one of the toughest rods it's not the, even the most expensive but it's a super durable rod um how do you guys do that with your r&d i mean when you get a line out there do you go through a big R&D or do you just know because of the PU uh, process that you, you're, you're bomber, you're not worrying about anything like malfunctioning? Uh, no, we do. We do. We test everything. You know, it's like you, you, you can't be complacent with anything because we, we even test it to the level of when materials land you from external suppliers. You know, we've got to be sure that what we're getting is consistent so that when we make things that they're consistent and 
we get the end results that we want. So at every stage, things are tested. Um, it's it's a big part of the process. Um, and as for product development, you know you you get, you know you get an idea. People will will come to you, or you know you'll get an idea, and they'll you know one one aligner does a certain thing, and then you go through your back catalog of what do we do in certain situations to to create a line that does something similar. That's your your sort of starting point. Then you start messing around then with different hardnesses of plastics because we can change the stiffness of the plastic quite across quite a large range. Uh, has a huge impact on the way that a line performs in, you know, cold conditions, warm conditions. Is it going to become too gummy? Is it going to be too, become too stiff when it's cold? Uh, and if it's too stiff in certain parts of the line, then that will cause you problems with loop formation. So, you know, you've, you're always factoring all of these different layers of plant. And with Airflow's lines, as well, we, we use a, what we call a co-extrusion process. So there isn't one layer of plastics, there's actually two. Um, and the reason that we split them out is because we, we feel that when you have one layer, you're always trying to make sort of compromises on what it does. If you've only got one layer, you've got to make the one layer be super smooth, got to shoot really well, but then on the other side, it's got to bond to the core. So, like, when you're thinking that you put in slickening agents, then that doesn't actually form the best bonds with cores. So what we do is we, we, we most of our line is made with the inner layer, uh, and that controls density generally, contains most of the color, and contains the adhesion between the core and the coating. And then there's a secondary skin that, it all happens within a fraction of a second of each other. The, the core extrusion is all in one die head. Uh, and that provides the harder layer on the outside and the skin, which is the contact area with the, with the fly rod. So, mm -hmm. yeah, there's, oh, wow. a, there's a huge range of things to consider when you're designing lines. Yeah. So that is it. And then you have the, the outer layer. What does that look like when it's actually you're fishing it? So you've got this line. Do you guys, I'm not even sure, is cleaning a line, is that still something people should be doing on a regular basis? Uh, look, um, I, I, honestly, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> you me neither. Me neither. <laughs> uh, uh, in terms of the line, like the core extrusion, you, if, if you took a look at the line, you couldn't tell any difference between single cord and double cord. It's only when you, you cut the line cross section and you put it under a microscope you'd be able to see that there's a secondary layer so it's not it's not immediately visible to the eye and and because it's out made the same materials they effectively become an homogenous coating anyway i see so what you're saying is uh i mean yeah cleaning them i mean if the line's out there uh salt water or just whatever yeah. dirty river yeah, conditions not a big deal yeah I, I, look i i've washed my lines down after the salt um, yeah. any line will perform better if you give it a little slickening agent. You know, they, they will, yeah. naturally. You, you, you're you reducing the, the friction in the guide. So, yeah, do it. But yeah. I've not found the need to on our our lines. So, Yeah. How long will, you know, this is probably hard, depends on how much people fish, but what's the average fisherman, I guess, the, the weekend warrior? I mean, they get a line. How long is that line going to last before they need to think about replacing it? Okay, so with polyurethane, I'll tell you a story. There was a there was guys in uh, New Mexico who had an original one of the original airflow lines, and they sent it back to us. Uh, and there was a little letter inside, real nice letter, saying that this is one of the lines you give us at the start, 
Uh, it's been our car park casting line for the last 17 years. We'd like you to see it. Um, and it just highlights that polyurethane is super tough and <laughs> doesn't wow. really get... Look, you can still damage a line. You can still cut yeah. it with filament. Like, people... Like I, I, the most damage you see from from flower lines is where people have wrapped a, a nylon leader or fluorocarbon leader around it mm. and into the line. So yep. yeah, you can, but I can cut it with the scissors too, you know. But in yeah, terms of right, exactly, you you're going to get years out of a polyurethane line, and you'll probably end up replacing it out of boredom uh, rather than yep. <laughs> rather than the need to. Right, right. And and do you think that's different? I mean, with the the opposite, right, the PVC lines, is that a different process? I'm not sure how much you know about that. Are those lines, yeah, look, do you have to like, replace those sooner? I know quite a bit about it. But look, PVC lines, they are susceptible to UV. They're susceptible to DEET. They're susceptible to sunscreen. So all those things that you put on them, they will draw out the solvents. So when the solvents leach out of that line over time, that's what makes the line crack. So if you think about PVC as a paint, and if I painted a window, on the first day, that window looks fantastic. And that's because there's elasticity in the paint, and the paint will stretch as the, as the wood expands and contracts, then the paint will do the same. But over time, the solvent and the paint will just leach out. And then over time, the expansion and contraction of that wooden window is still doing the same. And then after a you know a lot of time in the sun, it just it just breaks down and starts to crack, and and it's a very similar process with the with the coatings on the other lines. That's it. And I and I going back episode uh, three twenty eight. We had an episode with Jarvis from uh, Monic Fly Lines, and they're a, yeah. kind of a more of a, a small. You know, they're they're actually a cool company. I love what they have going. They yeah, have they're... a unique process too. Very similar, right? Are they doing a similar uh, deal as what you guys have? Yeah, I believe they are. I believe they are. I think this yeah. very very yeah. similar. They they they'll be using extrusion and they'll be using uh, similar methods of manufacture as airflow. Very similar. Yeah, exactly. And he mentioned uh, on that one mentioned you guys. And I think said that that yeah, you're the only ones. Why is it that because there are a number of other big companies in the U.S. and probably I'm guessing around the world that uh, don't use P. I mean, are there? Why do you think that is that they're not more? Is that just the tech? Maybe not. Don't have the engineering to do it, or what would you say about that? I'd say it's probably more historical. You know, if you've invested heavily in a technology for the last fifty years, then you've probably got the machinery you want to run it that way. You know, we we came along with this this stuff over thirty years ago. We started in eighty four, um, and also. It's not the sort of thing you can just walk into a shop and buy a fly line machine. You've mm, gone develop right. stuff. You all of the technology that's in house is things that we've developed ourselves. So the, there's a lot of uh, in house know. Yep. So yeah, it's not it's not an easy gotcha. process. Yeah, yeah. So just like you guys won't be switching or adding PVC to your line, but, you know, for obviously a number of reasons. But yeah, you would have to come in with a whole new a bunch of machines. Obviously, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, that would be the case if we the whole process. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, it's yeah it's something that you've you know, you you've developed your process. It takes a long time to get. Th- there's there's a lot of things that you. It's a bit like rubbing your head and tapping your stomach at the same time. You know, it's uh, yeah. There's a lot of things. To get. <laughs> yeah, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. Nice. 
Well, well, this is good. I think we have a little bit of a, a kind of a primer on. I mean, what else are we missing here? I mean, you guys, like as far as the types of fishing, do you kind of cover it all or what aren't you covering? You know, I mean, because there's all sorts of like, people are fishing. I mean, we do episodes every week and we got somebody fishing for carp in the middle of Arizona. We got, I mean, fly fishing is so amazing now, right? Because you could fish for any species all around the world. How does that look for you guys? Are you trying to target that, like everything? Yeah, we will. We will. Uh, I think the like the the strategy we're taking right now is to make things simple for the angler. We think that there is too much out there, and you know, yeah, you can go and buy a carp line, but you could also buy a a regular universal taper and do just fine with that. So I think where there's a need uh, and a specific environmental advantage, so maybe you know where the temperatures are up and you would need a slightly harder coating or fly size generally you know if you're fishing super big flies and things are changing in terms of the the way that people are approaching fish then that'll develop you know a line is probably specific to that purpose but we don't want to just develop lines for the sake of developing lines you know we want to make things yeah. uh, really worthwhile uh technically superior if we can um otherwise there's no real point in <laughs> making it right right no, you're trying. It sounds like you guys have trying to simplify it, right? Like have your three different tapers, and those could be applied exactly. to salt or yeah. And then you go yeah. into, and then you might have a specific line you need as you dial things in. But yeah, why make it more confusing? It's like the space stuff, you know. I think a lot of people always feel like some people like it's very confusing. There's so many different types of Skagit and Scandi and uh, you know all this different stuff. But really, at the end of the day, it shouldn't be that confusing, right? I mean, you could probably just go grab any a Skagit line and go fish it as long as it balances you'll be okay yeah sure uh, look it, it's when you come to 30 grain increments on skagit heads it's real fine detail and and and, and it will make a difference to the guys who it makes a difference to but generally they're at, at that upper level uh, but if you yeah. you're at the lower level then as long as you got something that's going to load the rod well for you then you can have fun yeah what what's the uh, the welded loop is such a uh, just a everyday thing now. I mean, back in the day, I was just talking the other day about the nail knot, right? I mean, the nail yeah. knot was. I still use it, and somebody actually, uh, uh, the meat eater guys, we had him on. We had Joe Samelli on, and he mentioned we talked about the the nail knot. But the loop is just everywhere. You guys, right? Tell me about that. Was that something you guys created back in the day? Yeah, my colleague Richard Walters back back in the time he invented the welded loop as part of a polyleader project. So that it wasn't originally on fly lines. It was a uh, it was a method of welding a, a, sm- a small tapered uh, tungsten tip, uh, and we took one look at it and we said, "Hey, this needs to be on fly lines." And then we had to go through the process then of building it into our tech, you know, building it into our everyday manufacturing, which was tough um, because you can imagine how many fly lines we make, and this wasn't an automated process back then. This was literally we 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 live in a in a a town which has um, got a large army base. Okay, there's the point of the story, uh, and and the army base is um, the Gurkha regiment is is based here, and when the Gurkhas come over to train in in the in the Brecon Beacons, they bring their wives and family, and it turns out that the the Gurkha wives were very good at doing these welded loops, so. We ended up with at one point over a hundred uh, Gurkha wives welding fly line loops for us. Hmm. So that was like literally you you, our, 
our lines would go out on a weekly basis and then they'd come back on a Friday. Um, some of them would smell quite quite uh, funky because uh, the Gurkha curries are pretty strong. So <laughs> occasionally you oh. get a, a little bit tasty. But uh, yeah, no, we that was how we how we processed it back then. All all of that stuff is all automated these days. But uh, back then it was it was quite a mission to get it done. Today's episode is sponsored by Angler's Coffee. With more than 40 years of experience in coffee, the Angler's Coffee team roasts a full range of coffee with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. Responsibly sourced from farms using sustainable growing practices, you can rest easy knowing you're doing your part. Roasted and shipped within 48 hours to assure freshness. I definitely know when I open up a bag of Angler's Coffee, this is going to be the best thing that I've tasted uh, for a long time. For me, when I open up that bag of Anglers, I know it's going to be super fresh and it is going to be probably the best thing I've tasted all day long. So you got to check that out in the morning. This is, if you want to step up to not only amazing coffee, great taste, but know you're doing your part. Uh, Joe and the Anglers team, uh, that he's got it going. He's always got something new going on from the Artist Series. They're doing some stuff right now. From the artist series that they've done to right now, they've actually got a new bass blend, which I just purchased over to Anglers. The bass blend, you got to check that out. Um, I was just over there. They got a Mayfly blend, which was cool. And then, of course, some of the standards that they have, the Muddler blend and some of the other good stuff. Check it out right now if you go over to wetflyswing.com anglers. You can check out everything they have going on right now, and you can get a little taste and even check out the dry dropper on the go tea bag option. Joe really loves this, and this is a little bonus they're putting in. If you want to really simplify the process, check out the dry dropper, some hot water, grab this tea bag and drop it in. You're good to go with some coffee. Add a little creamer, maybe some honey, uh, which I like to do. If you haven't tried honey, give it a shot, and uh, and you're good to go. Like we said, Joe is the man. He's got it going. Great coffee, great taste. Uh, you know when you pay for this coffee, it's a little bit more expensive than just your run-of-the-mill stuff, but you know it's going towards good causes, whether that's conservation or just connecting with local groups. Uh, Joe always has something positive going, and you got to check him out right now. Wetflyswing.com slash anglers. That's A-N-G-L-E-R-S to make a change and get a taste of great coffee today. Okay, back to the show. So you got the, and you mentioned the, the poly leader too. So that is another game changer. I mean, I've used the poly leaders. Uh, describe that poly leader. I'm not sure if that's still something you guys are doubling down on, but the, talk about how you would get a poly leader, how that works. Okay, so we love poly leaders. Poly leaders are, in my mind, the best way of connecting fly line to tippet. And I'll, I'll explain why. Okay, so... If you made the ultimate fly line, okay, it would go all the way from the, the belly diameter all the way down to tipper diameter. That would be the optimum. That would be the ultimate fly line, okay? And the reason being is that that would mean that the the material used for the between the belly and the and the tippet is all of the same flex modulus. So when you're making a casting loop. You're going to get a, a casting loop which is smooth all the way through because you're not fighting to bend material. Okay. Now, when you take a look at a monofilament leader, when you match up 
the butt diameter of the leader to the tip diameter of the flat line, which is technically that's the right thing to do. You know, you 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 take the tip diameter of the flat line, then you taper it down to tip of diameter. But the thing that's missing there, or the thing that causes a problem there, is that there's a massive difference between the flex modulus of the flat line, which is really easy to bend, and the flex modulus of the butt of that leader. So you you end up having to use a lot of energy from the end of the fly line to bend that leader to create a nice tight casting loop. Now, what a poly leader does is effectively creates that five to nine foot section in between the fly line and the tippet, but it's made of the same material as fly lines. So it's got that same flex modulus. So it's very easy to bend and very easy to transfer energy to the tippet the other thing with poly leaders is that we can change densities so you can go from a floating poly leader to a type 7 sink rate poly leader so for you know the traveling angler no need to carry a sink tip no need to carry just take your floater go three poly leaders loop to loop them into the fly line attach your tippet and you're away to go so yeah they're super well the the two hand guys Particularly in Europe, they love them. They really got a hold of them, and they, they like that 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 system. Um, but it, it really is a versatile. You know, I'm thinking more these days for streamers. You know, just getting that fly down there without having to get a full sinking line on. Um, really, really effective for that. Right. So, so, and how long are typically the poly leaders? Okay, so they're between five foot and um, ten foot long. Uh, there's a complete range. We do them for. Line sizes two to five, five to seven. You know, uh, salmon, uh, steelhead, the whole gamut, huge range of them, um, and it's literally just about attaching the tippet then to the end, which is makes it really simple. The, the latest versions, the Polyleader Plus, actually come with a a small one point five mil tippet ring on the end, so it's just just like tying a just like tying a piece of tippet onto your fly. So yeah, very effective. Uh, the other thing as well, which is which is interesting, is that in the floating density, they've actually got positive buoyancy. So for mending in indicators, whereas your leader would generally sink, or you'd grease it, then you you know you can keep mending all the way down to the indicator, so you get far better control over your drifts. So it's quite a quite right. a good product. Needs a bit of uh, gotcha. needs a bit of love in the US. Yeah, that, well. And like I said, I've, I've used them and it's, it's the idea makes total sense. So, I mean, would you ever, I mean, you pretty much should always be using some type, either it's a floating poly leader or a sinking, would you say? Yeah, I will. I will. Uh, the only time I'd, I'd not use a poly leader is when I'm fishing sinking lines on a still water. And that is primarily because I want the fly line to control the depth of the flies. And I just want to, like, a lot of times I'll fish short up to the fly line just to make sure that the fly line is actually pulling my flies to depth. But any any sort of floating line presentations, right, you know, trying to create an angle off the end or trying to create more depth or, or just to get really good presentation, uh, the, the floating, fl- say, the floating pot lead is exceptional. Yeah, the floating, that's it. And I love it. And that's the one that I've used probably most often is just throw on the floating poly leader on there. Good. Well, um, you know, I'm trying to think now. I want to make sure we cover everything. Is there anything else you'd like to highlight, either maybe coming up, you know, in the coming years you want to shout out, or anything that we haven't talked about that are big products for you guys? Well, the only thing I'd like to talk about is the the ridges on the lines and what what that does Mm. um, and why our tech uh, 
like we we invented textured fly lines. Oh wow! Um, or, or rather, we were the first guys with commercially available textured lines, I believe. Okay. Uh, with a so SA has shark skin, but prior to that, Airflow had the ridge line, uh, and the first ridge line was a um, literally it was long longitudinal ridges running along the full length of the line. And what it looked like was a, if you imagine a cross section of the line looked like a bike cog, looked like a, you know, a crank off a, off a, off a push bike. Um, and those ridges, those ridges did a great job of reducing friction in the rings. They certainly cast really well. Uh, but in their original format, they was quite aggressive. And, you know, when you were stripping flies back in salt water or wherever, then you would get some grooves, you know, you could get finger grooves off it. Um, the great thing about it though, was that it reduced the tangle significantly in salt water. I remember I took a, a group to Cuba. We fished, we did an exploratory trip to Isle of Youth when it first opened up and, uh, there were six anglers on the trip and we, we were really lucky. There was a, tremendous amount of tarpon around and we we hooked up upwards of 250 tarpon for the week between us it was insane but in during that week we only had six tangles in all that action which was mind-blowing and that's where i really felt the ridges sort of set us apart the other thing with the ridges because they run the full length of the line they don't actually cross the rod guides so there's no noise Oh, so there's no noise. You've got the benefit. No, there's no noise with the ridge line. Um, so that was the original ridges with that that bike cog shape. Um, but we revised the ridges about two years ago. We came out with Ridge 2.0. And what we did with that was we reduced the number of ridges. So we created larger voids in between. And what the thinking there was, was that if there was any grit or dirt getting caught up in the line, it would get washed out quicker. And also we changed the shape. So instead of being a spike, it was more of like a flower petal kind of profile. So it, it's, it's very subtle now, the ridge. It, it creates incredible line speed because if you've got that lack of contact with the guides, it just allows oh, the line to slide up through the guides really right. quick. Uh, it's really, but you're getting that advantage. You're getting the advantage of no tangles, super line speed, and, and incredible slickness, but without any noise. So yeah, it's a it's a big thing for us. I love that because we were just and actually I, we were just up in Alaska. We had uh, scientific anglers had I think it was their amplitude line, and uh, and they had, I think they were textured. I hadn't used a textured line prior to that, and it, they did make sound. And actually, it was kind of cool. It was like oh wow, this really makes a sound. It's it's almost like you're when a fish is spooling you up on your reel. Are you a quiet reel you know person? Or are you do you like the loud noise? You know what I mean? Like I kind of. I kind of, I'm kind of quiet on the reel. I like to hide to let people, you know, don't let them know there's a big fish screaming off. But so I think some people maybe sure. like, maybe like the noise, right? But some people, I probably a lot of yeah. maybe more yeah. don't. Yeah. For, for me, if there's any noise created, that's obviously friction. So I'm always, um, I'm all about reduction. Yeah. So that is friction. So literally having noise can, creates more, more, uh, more drag. I, it's actually, um, because there's less points of contact, the sharks can cast really well, uh, okay. and it any textured line will reduce friction. But having a, 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 a texture that runs along the length of the line and doesn't create noise is obviously creating less. Yeah, even less. Okay. 
Good. Well, no, I'm, gl- I'm glad you highlighted because that was a, a question that I kind of had been thinking about a little bit. So, and cool. uh, if people have questions as far as digging more into this on lines, w- you know, what do you recommend for people like uh, if they're, say, they're out in some, you know, in the U.S. somewhere and they just don't know what to get. So they're thinking, you know, they're going for, let's say they're going for one of the saltwater species. What do you tell them? Uh, look, universal um, universal salt water all day long. That's the line. The universal lines have been des- have been designed for ninety percent of the market. Whether it's the universal trout or the universal salt water, that's where the where the game is. Um, and then what you go on the peripherals end is the power taper, which either will make up for wind or or, or, or lack of line speed. And then you've got the tactical end, which for your top five percent super you know effective casters who can can generate line speed at distance you know and they've got the longer bellies then to to take advantage of it gotcha so if i was going for let's say redfish down to towards texas um the universal for me would be fine but it might be good to also have maybe the more of that power in case there's some wind would it be good to have all three potentially well look we we also created a redfish line which is kind of a a a beefed up version of the universal uh, with a slightly less hard finish on it. So the, the plastic is a little softer because of the temps that you're fishing in. It's not a full tropical. It's kind of like um, 80% of the way there. Um, so, again, we, 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 we dial in the plastics on the skins by fishery, by temperature range. So we're always to, to optimize, you know. By fish. So you do have that. So if you want to say, hey, I'm going for yeah you don't have every species in the world but you do have the ones that are really popular ones you have it by species right yeah we do we yeah. do uh and, and you know and that kind of highlights you know one of those situations where you do need to have something a little different you know the tropical line would work and it would cast really well but it would be too hard if the water temperatures dropped so you'd end up with too much line memory and and that's where a specific redfish line actually comes to the fore there you go. Okay, perfect. Well, I think we'll send, you know, if people have questions for you, we'll send them out to, um, you know, to Airflow. Uh, like we said, well, you got two, you got the Airflow yeah. U- uh, USA, right? But either way, it's going to get people to the right place. But if people ask questions, feel free to send them to me as well. I'm, I'm happy to answer things. Okay. So if, yeah, if people have questions like directly, like right now, they want to pick up a line yeah. or just want to pick your brain more than what we talked about today. That'd be good. Feel free. Yeah. Okay. No All right. Perfect. Well, give us a, we got a couple more to take it out of here. I want to, I, I usually like to hold the, the end for some random questions just to, just to make it fun here. So, uh, you talked about a couple of trips. I mean, with your, you know, you've been doing this a long time. Have you just been loving the, have you been traveling? Do you do a lot of traveling around the world? Like fishing? Is that something you do a lot of, have done a lot of in the past? Yeah, I've been very lucky. I, um, so I started the job. I left university. I came to work for Airflow. Then I left for a year. I went, Went to the dark side. I was a trainee accountant with uh, Revlon Cosmetics. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> complete role change. And I came back to, to Airflow. Uh, they offered me a role, which was uh, like a technical guy here. Uh, and then a, an opportunity came up. Uh, I didn't realize, but nobody wanted to go to Australia and the senior staff. And they asked me, would I go? They wanted to set up a new distributor. Yeah. So I went. I loved it. Um and then from there onwards, I spent about three months a year traveling. It was just incredible. And, and, and the coolest part about it was in all those situations, I was meeting fantastic anglers, super high skill set, 
uh, were really happy to share their, you know, their their knowledge with you. So I was like this sponge who just traveled around the world, sucking up all this stuff from different parts of it and seeing what they did in New Zealand, seeing what they did in Scandinavia. And, And that's one of the things I love. I love the way that you can take things you learn in one fishery for one species and then transpose it to another. You know, it's, um, you know, there's been things I've learned in tarpon fishing, which I've applied to UK still water fishing, would you believe? Uh, And really caught a lot of fish as a result of it. So, you know, just these these learnings. I I, I just love this continuous learning that you get. You know, I say I've been, I've been the luckiest guy. I've got to fish with some real legends as well. You know, I've fished with Rene Harrop a lot over the years. And people like that really inspire me because, despite his age and despite the sort of fishing he's done throughout all his time, he still wants to learn. And any techniques I bring to the table, he's 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 so quick to go and take them on and try them and see what he can he can add to it. So I, anyway, I just well, I say in very. How do you uh, who who, who I, I'm not familiar on that. I didn't get that name. How do you uh, who is that again? Oh, okay. So there's a guy called Rene Harrop who's um, really famous on the on the Henry's Folk. Oh, wait, how do you how do you spell it? Rene, R E N E. Yep. Harrop, H A R R O P. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Perfect. So yeah, I got, I got and then you know I I've been lucky as well to fish with some really good guides and listening to what the guides say is is quite critical because they get to see everything that works and also on the on the opposing side they get to see everything that doesn't work so listening to your guide is kind of you know you'd be you'd be a fool not to listen to him you know right right exactly yeah the guy i mean that's always the good advice you go to a new place you know get a guide for at least a day just to make sure it'll help your learning curve Awesome. Well, this this has been uh, you know a lot of fun. I I want to just take it out of here, just uh, kind of in the Stillwater. Go back to that. We talked about that story. I like I said, I love Stillwater. We're doing some trips this year. Where in fact we are hoping to get out to maybe the Idaho area somewhere and find some good uh, Stillwater areas there. But give us some tips. So again, some of these you know you can keep a high level if you want. But if somebody was heading out just generally Stillwater fishing, you know what do you tell somebody or what do you take from your comp fishing that people can maybe utilize that are listening now. Okay, the the most important thing, and it sounds crazy, but find the fish. Yeah. Ab- absolutely have a plan to find fish. Fish will generally be in areas where there's food, mm-hmm. you know, food and comfort and close-to-hand safety. So think of areas where you're going from 5 to 10 to 15 feet depth. That contour line is where they like to like to feed because they'll come into the shallow water, which is generally richer, with thought that if anything goes wrong, they're going to drop off into deeper water and have safety very, very close to hand. So always think of that. Then think about how the food is getting pushed around. So the wind on still water is the flow on the river. So always think of where the food is going to get blown and then generally start looking in those areas for, for feeding fish. Um, fish will generally give you a, an indication fairly quickly. If there's a fish there, you generally get a take quite quickly. Mm-hmm. If you don't get another take, if you don't get another take in the next five minutes, then move until you do. You know, it's like don't just sit out because you you had one little opportunity. You know, you you want to find the the fish, and there will be 
a mass of fish somewhere. Um, and that's due to the fact that that's where the concentration of food is. That's where the fish are. That's where they're going to be happiest feeding. So it's all about finding finding the fish, finding, finding the food, and, um, yeah, keep on, keep on the move. Yeah, keep on the move. And then, and that is, we've talked about that quite a bit on our Stillwater episodes. It's just like, yeah, how do you find the right depth? When I was out with Phil, you know, we kind of tried a bunch of different depths until we find, found out where they were at it. Do you, do you typically with your Stillwater stuff, do you do a mixture of types? Like, do you even like do some of the indicator stuff or what, what's that look like? Yeah, we, we will do, we will do, we'll fish all, all styles. But my, my thought process on that is start at the top and work your way down. Okay. Fish, fish will generally rise up a column to take something, whereas they don't generally go digging in the in the mud. It, they'd rather have the fly presented at a level or above, slightly above. So don't be in a hurry to go and put a super fast sinking line on. Work your way down into it and and, and use the countdown method. You know, mm, yeah. count. It's really important if you can get that subsurface vision, and you can count to a depth, and repeatability is. And that's from my competition side. It's all about repeatability. If you can, you know, the situation is there in front of you. The solution for the immediate future is going to be whatever it is. Once you've found it, run with it. Yeah. But then prepare to change because with pressure, the fish will either move or they'll drop lower in the water column. So then you need to go dropping the flies a little deeper or, or move to another place to find another, you know, active feeding shoal of fish. Gotcha. Yeah, no, those are, that's the great tips. Those are awesome. I love that on the Stillwater. So nice. And what do you, so you, you know, you mentioned, we mentioned golf kind of joking around there, but what do you do when you're not uh, designing, you know, digging into the fly line stuff? Do you have any like hobbies stuff that you, you kind of do on the, on the side that's not fishing related? Uh, I'd like to say, yes, I've got loads of hobbies, but I, the truth is I don't. I'm, I fish pretty much three, 365 days a year. I'm, that's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm one of the lucky people in the industry who's never lost the passion for it. No, even though I'm surrounded by it every day, um, I just I just love what there's so many different facets you can find within fly fishing. Like we we're, we're fortunate in the UK. We got I'm 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 surrounded by great still waters. I'm surrounded by great rivers, uh, all within thirty minutes of the house. Um, I can fish for trout. I can fish for pike. I can fish for carp. I could fish for um, grayling in the winter, which is kind of oh, wow. what we do. Um, yeah. yeah, so there's, there's always something to do and we don't really get, uh, iced over here. So we just uh, get rained off. Yeah. Rained off. Exactly. Yeah. You're, the, I think you guys are probably a pretty similar latitude, uh, from where we are, you know, like, I think it's, yeah, I think you're right across the, the country, but no, I mean, have you seen that? I mean, cause the passion thing is interesting. Cause I, I kind of feel like, um, you know, I mean, I just love the future of looking ahead. You know, I mean, you've done probably a lot more traveling than I've done, but I mean, do you find people, do you know people in the industry that really you saw, they lost the passion. They just kind of like got out of it or got burned out. Yeah, I have. And it's sad, you know, because, you know, you, you just wonder what, 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 what's gone wrong, but you know, it's life, I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just really happy. It didn't happen to me. Yeah. 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 I hear you. Yeah. I, I think, uh, that's what I love about the podcasting because I, I think everybody I talk to for the most part is pretty passionate. You know what I mean? They're like fully into it. In fact, I had a guy on, um, uh, Joe Jackson, Sergeant, uh, Bass Fisher, okay. shout out to Joe. 
Uh, I mean, this guy is, he's got, his passion is like tying deer hair flies, right? And But it's a crazy, he has this crazy story. I mean, the guy's a young, he's a young guy. He was in Afghanistan, the war stuff, but like literally had a heart attack recently. And he's a young, a young kid. He's got all this stuff going on. Yet when you hear him talk, I mean, he is so passionate about doing what he does. Like, he's like, dude, I can't wait till they let me get back to fly tying. You know, he can't even tie flies right now because he's lost the strength. But it's just this powerful, I mean, that's what it is. It's like, and you, it sounds like you have it as well. Do you, I mean, you must, that must be the people you're around. You see that on the other end, right? The people in the industry that have the same passion as you. Yeah. And I'm surrounded by like-minded people here at Airflow. I've got a couple of staff here who are crazy mad fishermen. Uh, I got one guy here, Kieran Jenkins. He's probably the top competition angler in the UK right now. Oh, wow. Uh, watching him come through and develop into you know, of an exceptional talent is, is, is really exciting. And it's obviously dr- drives me to k- keep on my toes, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You get, so you got some young crew. This is the, uh, there's not all old white guys at, at the office is what you're saying. You got to mix some people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm the older. <laughs> you're the, are you, are you the old one around the office there? I'm the oldest one in the office. I'm 52. So yeah. Oh, wow. You're still young though. That's great. Look at that. So that's, that's amazing. Uh, awesome. All right, Gareth. Well, uh, we'll send everybody out to uh, airflowfishing.com and uh, and then you know, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be some questions for you because you know uh, there always are with with fly lines. So I'll, I'll direct them that way. But yeah, thanks again for all your time today and shedding some light on airflow. Definitely excited and want to say thanks for the you know the products because I've been using your guys' stuff for a long time. So it's it's been awesome and definitely look forward to keeping in touch with you. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed this whole. Thank you. So there you go. Another big one in the books wetflyswing.com slash 386 386 will get you the show notes and links some of the stuff we talked about maybe there'll be a bonus video like we always like to throw in there Uh, maybe one of a favorite tune maybe Dom's going to throw in one of his favorite videos uh, that's that's good today quick reminder before we get out of here zag.fish you can go to wetflyswing.com slash zag uh, enter to win this $100 gift certificate to purchase anything at Zag and also get a chance at a local fly fishing guide trip. We're putting these up and we're going to be uh, doing more of these as we go, but this is your chance. If you've been wanting to get on the water with a guide, we're going to we're gonna have you covered if you win this trip. And we got a couple other little bonuses to check it out. We got Peter who won the last trip. He's going to be coming on the podcast soon to uh, share a little bit of his story. So it'll be good to hear him, hear what he has going and to hear what it's been like being the big winner of the big trip. So I'm excited to share that one with you as well. I'd love to hear from you. If you get a chance, uh, you can send me a message anytime, DM on social at wetflyswing or send me an email, uh, dave at wetflyswing.com and let me know where you're coming from, how long you've been listening to the show. And if you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear from them if you if you reach out to me there i will put that together for you and and do my best to make it worth your while i guarantee if you connect with me i will put together an episode for you so we're going to get out of here and we are going to get on to the next task we have at hand we've got this giveaway rolling this week which is definitely a lot of fun hope you have a chance to go over there on instagram and uh, and click that like button let us know you're out there uh, on social that'd be great and it would be really awesome if you win that trip. That's my chance to get on the water with you. And uh, and I hope that I'm able to do that this year. If I can't, definitely connect with me online 
on social anywhere there. And I'd love to, at a minimum, say hi and connect with you uh, through the through that venue. All right, we're out of here. Uh, another another uh, night, another day in the in the books, and uh, it is nighttime here now. So I'm going to wish you a good evening, a good morning, or good afternoon wherever you are in the world. And I I'm glad that you've been here with us today, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.